Welcome back to the broadcast, episode number 73 with Paul Conroy from Fair Share. Fair Share is this amazing company that rescues surplus food and cooks free nutritious meals for people who are doing it tough, which is such an admirable thing. Uh, today's podcast is brought to you by Green Endeavour. Who's Green Endeavour? Green Endeavour is the company that houses the brands Suncoast Fresh and Fruit Link, and they aim to create sustainable communities where people are educated in powered and inspired by the joy of real food, much like Fair Share. Also brought to you by Chef Notepad. Calculate your food cost and manage your recipes. Say goodbye to complicated spreadsheets. That is a cracker. Have a look at that. But let's go with Paul. Sit back, relax. Let's go. Okay. Well, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Fair Share, Paul. Um, Tell me a little bit about your history and how you got into this wonderful industry. Oh, well, like like everything in life, there was no plan and it's by accident. So right. the first uh, 30 years of my working life was a corporate lawyer, uh, both Smart in, both in uh, firms in Australia and I worked as a corporate mergers lawyer in um, Vietnam for a couple of years in the 90s and then I was in London for a couple of years and I was in the US for quite a few years travelling around. Um, and then I was with, uh, I was the Chief Legal Counsel of Fosters and then ultimately Treasury Wines. But So you're a super smart dude. No, just a hard huh? worker and a good bluffer. All right. Oh, right. I was wondering how you met your beautiful wife. <laughs> All right. Okay. And you now, figured it out pretty quick, haven't you? Right, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> but along the way, I've always been doing um, lots of not-for-profit things. It's just part of my DNA. And, um, and probably 10 years ago, I got to know the CEO of, Fair share, and about five or six years ago, joined their board, um, and through that exercise, got to learn a lot about fair share um, and helping them. And then, as things transpired uh, a couple of years ago, when COVID hit, um, there was a massive change, and um, I was with a business we just sold a big chunk of it, so I had some free time, and I just fell into it. Is mm. to come to help on an operational point of view, and as things evolved, I've sort of figured I'm playing the playing the back nine of life now. I don't need to go back and and do the corporate thing, Uh, rather than doing the not-for-profit on the side, I'll make that the centre of what I do for the back nine, so to speak. And and this is this is my journey now for the for the foreseeable future. And I've been in for two years and I'm loving it. Yeah. I was very suspicious when I first met. I was like, what is this guy? He's a lawyer, now he's doing this stuff. I was like, there's something here I'm missing. But you know, as I've got to know you, it's uh, you know, you're, you're the real deal. So that's 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 why you're on the podcast. So look, let's talk, let's go back and dive mm. into the history of Fair Share and where it all started and um, you know, how how yep. it, how it comes to today. Okay. So so Fair Share started. 21 years ago and we're actually in Melbourne um, at a site in Abbotsford and we're actually celebrating our 21st birthday next month Beautiful. in Melbourne with an event uh, and it's evolved, and it started off purely just being uh, what it would rescue for food off a sm- at small scale and turning that into from food waste into meals and then over time it's built up um, a relationship with Woolies and started doing the rescue from Woolworth stores which it still does today it still rescues 107 stores in Melbourne each day yeah. Um, and that's growing all the way along. And then uh, four years ago, we opened in Brisbane. And it was really um, at the suggestion of uh, Food Bank Australia wanting to put another kitchen in. And the best place to do that was Queensland because it is a real food bowl for Australia. Um, and in particular, what we, if you're relying on rescue food, you have to put the kitchen where the food is um, rather than transport rescue ingredients around because they've already got a limited life by the time they're getting to you so you have to use it up quickly and put the kitchen there so that's what led us to to a kitchen in Brisbane and we just have the two kitchens 
We've got no plans to put any more in at the moment because by having two big scale kitchens, one up north, one down south, once we've done the meals, we can move them around. Yeah. And that's the easy bit, but you've got to you've got to cook with your ingredients quickly. Yeah, radio. So twenty one years ago, yeah. fast forward, you've been with it, did you say four years or two? Two, two years, yeah. radio. Yeah. Big changes since you come along or? Uh yeah, like a lot of changes. Um since I suppose for for the fair share there's sort of two concepts you need to know about. One is food rescue and one is food relief. And for a long time, what you gave out for food relief was just limited to what I rescued. And I think where we're focusing on in food relief is saying, well, it's not just about this is what I've got, so therefore this is what I've give you, or this is what I've rescued, therefore this is all I can cook to produce. And it's very much if you're using corporate language, um, food rescue is a little bit of a supply push that you've got stuff, it has to be used up and you push it out. Well, the way we look at food relief is, in marketing speak is demand pull. What do people want and what should we be providing and what should we be cooking? And and therefore the rescue and relief things aren't necessarily the same or consistent. And so rescue is a big part of what we do, but we really now focus on how do we make food relief the best it can be? And what that means is you can't just rely on just rescue. You need to think about people who can make actual donations. Um, in some parts in Victoria, we actually grow some of our ingredients as well to fill that gap. Um, but it's a mindset shift from saying all I can give is what I've got versus what do you want and how do I how do I make that happen? I'm sure you've got a big team around you, but is that is that a part of your – is that something that you added, that that sort of mindset? Yeah, that? I suppose that's right. A little yeah, bit yeah. It's coming from the corporate world. Yeah. Um, and that's part of – some of the things I've sort of, maybe some of the changes that I've brought with Fish here come from a corporate background in terms of how do we position, how do we market the product, even though we give it for free, how do we make it as as marketable as possible? Because yeah. that goes to people's enjoyment. Uh, and then how do we do the distribution? And we've brought a bit of a different lens on on how we do distribution, not on our own, but partnering with corporates. Yeah, yeah. So how did you, what did you call it again in the marketing term? Something uh, like supply push versus consumer pull. Yeah, yeah, nice. I like that. <laughs> there you go. Didn't, yeah, wow. Okay, so tell us about the other charities that you work with that help you get the food, and then we'll talk about the people who cook it and you know, yeah. uh, and how we come up with all the dishes. Okay, so it's a little bit different in Queensland and Victoria. So in, in Victoria, we get about 25% of our ingredients in the kitchen from Second Bite, who rescues off coals, and then gives us the ingredients that we can use, which is the meat and veg. We get about 25% of the ingredients from ourselves, from rescuing from Woolies uh, and the same sort of thing. About 25% we will grow ourselves on the vegetables, and that's great. It's all donated land and, once again, volunteer-driven in terms of the labour on it. Uh, but that allows us to, to set sort of what we grow, when we get it, when we're going to get it in mm-hmm. the kitchen. So it takes out the the surprise chain turns into a bit more of a supply chain. We can plan what we're going to get. Yeah. And then the last 25% will be just donations that come up through human error. Um, we rescue a little bit from the wholesale market in Epping in Victoria. Yep. Uh, so it's a it's a grab bag of cancelled orders, new product development in corporates that don't go well and they've got to move it on, um, all of those types of things. In the yeah, case of well, Queensland... Spoke, spoke of mispackaging. Mispackaging, yeah, mislabels, wrong weights. Yeah. All of those things end up somewhere, and and we're a good candidate for that. In the case of Queensland, um, our sourcing model is a little bit different in terms of Food Bank Queensland is sort of our foundation partner when we set up here, and they supply the bulk of our ingredients, which takes out a lot of the hassle for us. So we we can focus on the cooking, and they'll give us the ingredients. We still get um, 
other ingredients from other participants as well, but we sort of take out that stress and then they distribute a lot of our meals as well. So so the Melbourne model's a lot more complicated, a lot more hunter-gatherer, a little more surprise, but we have a little bit more of the peace of mind here with the relationship with Food Bank Queensland. Okay, so you, um, you, so what other ways could you potentially get food? Um, in Queensland, we could look to grow like yeah. we do in Victoria. Okay, yeah. We haven't had to do that. Yeah. Um, the other part is probably building um, a profile and relationships with other food producers, food retailers, and we certainly don't want to go taking um, someone else's relationship because that's we don't want to upset other yep. organisations doing food relief. But there's still we still find that there are a lot of corporates and organisations out there that don't have a solution or they just default to stock feed mm. or replowing something. So there's still opportunities to work with farmers, with retailers and producers that don't have an existing relationship for their food waste that we yeah. can take. Um, and find a great solution and turn into healthy meals. Wow. So, okay, we've got a beautiful uh, premises that um, has got all the fit out. Tell us about how that happened, and then we'll talk about what the food and yeah. how you turn it into amazing yeah. meals. But tell us about that. How so we- in the case of Brisbane, uh, we bought this site in Morningside um, five years ago from GE Pharmaceuticals that they, would, they were making the site redundant. So it was a great, clean site for us to buy. Uh, we raised the money from some long-standing donors to support us building it. There's a great Brisbane-based builder called Wiley who did a fantastic job for us in terms of managing the build on a, on a really very much close to a pro bono basis for us. And we opened the site four years ago. So we've been operating, it'll be four years in October that we've been running. Um, and it was, it was ground zero then for us. No one knew really who Fair Share was. A lot of people still don't. Um, and, and that's one of our challenges. We, we've been so busy Mm-hmm. cooking and, and probably head down in COVID that we do need to do much more on the profile raising but yeah, we've been here four years and the site is fantastic actually it works really really well and it's a site that we got to build from scratch knowing that uh, how we work and the volunteer model and the like that so it allowed us to get something spot on yeah it definitely feels amazing when you walk in here okay so we've got a building we've got a supply chain sort of which we're looking for more there as yeah. well and food's coming in and Man, the next challenge is what are we going to do with it? Tell me how we yeah. how, tell me about James and yeah, and, 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 the, and the team. Yeah. That I've, I've, you know, we, we spent the morning going around, blew my mind, but I want to hear the story again from you. Tell me, tell me about so that. So we were lucky in terms of um, James Fain, who runs our kitchen here, uh, had originally been connected with Fair Share in Melbourne and a volunteer, is an incredible cook and has an incredible cooking background uh, working around the world and and. He had actually moved up back to Brisbane from where he was from a little bit earlier. And as we were looking to set up, he just we, we contacted him and it was his dream job. So we, we got the band back together again for someone a new fair share. And through that, we sort of started from zero. We started building up a regular volunteer list. We had no volunteers. We now have 400 regulars that come in wow. on the roster every week. And then we started building the other part of our volunteering, which is the corporate groups. And so we now have, uh, we just walked around this morning and there was the National Australia Bank in there. You name a corporate and, and they'll bring down their teams for team building exercises down here. And th- that's still got room to grow. So we're probably only halfway th- yep. uh, through um, getting a number of corporates that we need to run the kitchen to get it at capacity. Yep. 
Uh, we're, we're, we're making about 25,000 meals a week. We could probably grow it. We could be doing probably 35,000 if we could get a dial up our labour force. Explain to people what the benefit of being a corporate business and, and yeah. coming here. T- tell, tell us so, how that works. Oh, look, and, and I, I, when I was in the corporate world, I actually um, volunteered and took my teams down to, to work in fair share before I got directly involved in management sense. It's an actual fantastic activity, and a lot of corporates will have a volunteer day now, or if they don't, they're looking for an activity to take a team down for three or four hours to do something. What you bring down is a team of 16 people. You'll have one or two chefs supervising you. It is a little bit like real-life MasterChef in terms of you've seen me walk around today. What we're cooking today is what's come in yesterday. Um, And so you'll do a whole lot of activities. It could be from prepping could be from packaging meals off whatever's getting done that needs to get done at that moment in time is what you do but it's a great team activity because you're alongside each other around a bench or two you can talk we don't have machines so it's not noisy you can get to know a lot of people and we're finding that with come out of COVID there's all these people been working from home they're going it's actually I've never met you before when did you join we don't connect as much as we need to so it's a great activity to get teams together do something which is really satisfying so you can do volunteering and you walk away going we've just packed a thousand meals that are going to get eaten in the next 48 hours it's very satisfying you see the tangible impact that you're having rather than working on a problem that's going to take years to solve so it's very rewarding and people love it great great for teams uh, and you can see your output immediately. Yeah. So, you know, let, let's let's talk about the people that are getting the meals and then we'll talk about how the inspiration. Like you touched on it earlier about the types of meals and, and it's not just, you know, cook whatever we can get type thing. You've really done a lot of research. So let's talk about the people that are receiving the meal and then how you come up with the menu after that. Yeah, okay. So we're looking for people that um, are needing food relief and, and you'll find in food relief there's people that, maybe on it permanently, part of their life, and, and that's because they might have a particular mental or physical disability or a disadvantage that needs that needs support. Um, they might be homeless, probably, but it's only 2 to 5% of probably the meal recipients are in that category. Notwithstanding, that's often the common narrative. They might be escaping domestic violence. They might be they might be 85 and my wife's died and I've never cooked and I live by myself and I don't know how to cook. Mm. Um, so they could be people in that situation, but there's also people that dip into food insecurity at a moment in time and they might have been fine all their life, but you find, and we saw this through COVID, that actually I've lost my job and I'm struggling to do what I normally do and I have to make difficult choices, you know, do I heat or I eat, and they're deciding what to do. And the first thing you compromise on is food. You skip meals. We have meals that fill you up but aren't really what you want, etc. And so people dip in and out of their food relief. So you'll find that's a theme around the recipients. So they end up eating <coughs> food with no nutrition, that's cheap. It. That's it. Fills so, you up. You know, and there's sugary a con- drinks. That's right. And, and that's the first thing people do is you can fill yourself up and you can get away with that for a week or a month. But actually longer term, what's that's doing to you and your family uh, is not good. And, and the cost to society, that's not good too. If, if we don't feed people properly, then they'll all end up costing society or in emergency departments in 10 or 15 years' time with a lot of preventable illnesses. Mm. So that's the, that's the sort of a little bit of generalisation of the profile of people needing food relief. But then the other interesting thing is the profile of peeping, people needing food relief is just as diverse as the of Australia. And so the, the, the times of actually just saying, well meat and three veg and everyone's happy. We're in a really diverse community and therefore the face of food insecurity is really different. And so the types of meals you want is very different. 
And so what we focus on is getting dignity and food relief. The two parts of that is really presenting the meals, which you've seen, as good as something you would buy. We give everything out for free, but they look like something you'd spend 12 or $15 on the supermarket. Because if someone's on food relief, they don't want to be on food relief and they probably don't want their family and friends and children to know about it. So you can have something in the fridge that looks special, looks amazing, a lot of effort's gone into it. And then the other part of food relief is getting the right meal to the right person. So there's nothing more humiliating than ask somebody to eat something they don't want to eat or they can't eat for dietary, cultural, personal preferences. So how do we make an array of meals that really caters for the array of people in, in our society to get them what, what they deserve and what they want? And the other thing about food relief is it's what, what I've learned, it's not just about feeding someone, it's how they feel. And so when somebody reads the packaging and knows this meal's been made by volunteers or people that I'm never going to know and meet but they've donated their time to make a meal for me, it's really, really special. Mm. So it makes people feel important mm. and valued, often at a really difficult time of their life. Mm. And some of the best feedback, and, and I still get teary about hearing some of the stories of the, of the meals, but there was some feedback we got two months ago in Melbourne and someone unsolicited wrote an email and said, I'm a drug addict and I got your meals through a clinic that supports me, but your meals make me feel normal. It's so powerful in terms mm. of it's someone fed me, but someone cared about mm. me. And, and you can't underestimate the impact you're having on, on people's feelings in their self-esteem. Mm. And I think that's what drives a lot of volunteers that they love it, that they feel like they're doing something that in some way they can contribute. Oh, well, I can are. put my time and brain and I can't really solve me as an individual climate <laughs> yeah. change. Uh, I can't solve a lot of inequities in life, but I can certainly help people today and make them feel better and hopefully get them a better start for tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. How do you categorise, like how do you work out, there must be so many people in need like that, how do you... <laughs> How do you work that out? Well, that's for us in terms of... I've got uh, another one to cry. That's three. (laughs) Three. You made yourself cry. It made me cry. But but what is is, um, interesting for us is so we don't hand the meals out direct. So we'll cook, we'll probably cook about 1.3 million meals in in Brisbane this year and we'll probably do the same in Brisbane. We're not the front line. Sorry, in Melbourne. We're not the front line actually handing them out. What we do is we are almost like the wholesaler that we will now supply those meals to frontline agencies. So in Victoria, we'll supply those meals to probably 400 agencies and they'll go to regional ones. They could go to Salvos. It could be a soup van. And and each of those agencies is a little bit different because sometimes it might be, Graham, you come and see me and I'll sit down and I'll give you a meal and we might talk about your financial issues. Have you thought about this? Can I help you with that form? Mm. How about your job? All of these things. Because sometimes people have got a whole lot of stuff and the meal's part of it. Yeah. Sometimes it's just, no, we, you, you're just here because you need it. Feel. And so each each agency has a different role and the right. meals play That's a different great. role within it. And what you saw with COVID is obviously a shift towards individual meals and takeaway versus eating in a communal setting. So the, the days of coming together and having a meal sort of stopped. And, and there's pros and cons of that, um, but that's disappointing for some people in terms of a lot of times they came for a meal, but they got to talk to people and socialise and have that interaction if they're lonely. So a lot of that left and it drove us to then making sort of single serve ready to eat meals as handout because people were taking them away. Mm. And it's, so it changes with each agency, what they do with the meals and how they use it. Um, and, and and how they prioritise their clients. And mm. by more we understanding who they're trying to service, then it helps us what are the types of meals that you need. So just as I can't send 
a, a meat and three veg to some international students in Australia. I probably can't send vegetarian dish to to Cloncurry. Mm. You know, yeah, it's okay. good, but yeah. it's just trying to figure out the right home for the right meals, and that's yeah. just a it's a learning experience and over yeah. time. And then, then, and then also, you know, we're get, we're getting to this this amazing bit, which which James obviously has a fair bit to do with the um, a chef who who's a head chef up here. Um, you know, getting these ingredients, and we walked around with him this morning, and um, his ability to adapt, improvise, overcome with whatever the ingredients is, but thinking of it from a, a nutritional, uh, you know, meal that's that's good for everyone. Which I'll, I'll get into how you how you did that research as well. Yeah. But that's phenomenal, not only to be able to cook it but then the ability to find the right home for it you know there's a lot going on there but what i think about james is what a high level human being who can who has adapted a skill which all chefs actually innately have but we sort of lose once you get a, a menu you get used to a menu That's you can cost it the pressures of having being a chef in in a, in a restaurant is that you're paying for meals you're paying for labor so you end up almost boxed into a bit so people that come and work here almost have this innate ability to uh, become more uh, creative because they have to, and what a wonderful thing! I mean, I, I want to work here as well. What a what a what a place! So um, mm. I saw that all going in with him uh, and 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 what he was coming up with. Uh, but tell me, how does he? You know, like we're chefs, we're forever yeah. adding butter, right? Yeah. We yeah. just want to make stuff delicious, and we do load up on the carbs and all that. That's how restaurants sort of do to a degree. Talk to me about uh, the advice you got on the nutrition, so that these meals are not only tasty but but healthy. Yeah, yeah. So we we work uh, in Queensland with the University of Queensland, um, and there's a, a professor of their um, nutrition dietetics profession, Helen Truby, there, who's extraordinary. And understand some of the challenges we have in terms of we don't make to a recipe um, in many cases, and so it's a little bit of a, a mystery box every day what you get. And so what it what it means is yes, the chefs have to be very very creative, um, and they also have to be very engaging um, for our volunteers. So a part of you're not doing your chef job out the back. Actually, it's an unusual role because you're a chef, but you're actually bringing the public into your workplace, into mm. your kitchen, <laughs> Get which, which you've seen a chef and how they behave in kitchen sometimes. Uh, it yes. can be a challenge. You've got to moderate some behaviours. <laughs> yeah. um, so there's that part of the chef role, which is very different. But the nutrition piece is really around, and we learnt this through um, the meals that we target through our First Nations program in terms of... You, it's how do we get the balance right between giving people what they want and what they need, and 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 doing in a way. What are your preferences, and 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 it might be to have a certain type of product, but then maybe there's not enough nutrition in there. So mm. we've worked with the um, University of Queensland to say how can we? It's almost like feeding your kids. How do we put more nutrition in there for people that may not be looking for it or used to it, um, and and eat things that, that are unusual to them. Um, but it's got a lot of nutrition in there. So that's where the, they've, they've been really, really helpful. And so by working with First Nations communities, with our First Nations officer, sitting down, what are your favourite meals? What are the things? We don't want to make things you're not going to eat. So just you, you skipped over that a little yep. bit. The First Nations uh, person yeah. you have here? Yeah. So what we did, I'll, I'll even go back a little bit on that. So what you find is the more you go to really remote regional parts of australia and in particular queensland is the best example of remote and regional parts of australia you'll find the cost of eating healthy food becomes either not available or it's prohibitively expensive mm. in terms of and so therefore people you've got no choice or you can't afford to eat healthy food because of the prices mm. of it 
and that's understandable given the logistics of getting things there. The cost is huge. So therefore, people default to eating brown food in mm. many ways. That's not good for them. Uh, or skipping meals. So by working with some of those remote communities um, and we employed Jason Mollenhauer, who's our First Nations officer, to go and consult with First Nations communities as a pilot, what are the meals that you want that's going to be familiar, that's going to be what you want to eat? But And then we came up with a list of the things they want and then we worked with the University of Queensland, how, how do we get extra nutrition to help these people into those meals? So that's what we've been working on. And then we work back one step to the kitchen here, which we touched on before mm. we started the podcast, was around how do we get Indigenous communities into the kitchen to cook them. Mm. So that's why it's called Meals for the Mob. Meals for the Mob. Not by the mob. Meals for the Mob by the mob. Yeah, that's right. Wow. And and that's very much the mindset where the, the meal recipients love knowing that they've actually had their own community involved in cooking it mm. and they love it. That first fair share spent time figuring out what it is they really want Mm. And and a time rather than here's what you get, so yeah. to speak. So it's very much the the um, the um, consumer demand mindset in terms of what what is it you really want and how can we help you. Mm. And then we do the sneaky stuff on the on the nutrition. Well, and what do you mind with nutrition? When he says sneaky stuff, you're talking about putting how do some we, broccoli how do we dial into the, up the nutritional content. Right, and things. Okay. that's right. And just about portion control, the ratio of a carb to a to well, a. That's right. That's right. So so that's that's how we do it. But it's it's different, um, and it also means to get the nutrition into the meals. We can't just rely on rescue. Sometimes we've got to buy some stuff to make mm. sure we've got what we want when we need it. So that's when the donations help and the that's corporate right. ideas help. That's right. All that. That's right. Wow, there's a lot going on, isn't there? <laughs> Tell me about some of the innovations that are coming up. Yeah, so innovations, well, I'll give you two. So one one is in distribution innovation, which we've been doing for the last 12 months, and it comes back to remote and regional distribution. So the more you go to remote parts of Australia, you'll find that, once again, hard to find meals available, hard to harder for us as a not-for-profit to take our meals to Cloncurry prohibitively expensive, so no one goes there. Yeah, yeah. So what, what one of our distribution innovations was working with the Metcash group that owns IGAs. Yeah. And you'll find the more you go into regional areas, there's an IGA, might not be a Coles or a Woolies, and you also find that IGAs love being part of the local community. Yeah, I think we supply a ton of them. So yeah. so therefore, we've partnered with IGA and Linfox, their partner, to say, well, can we piggyback getting some meals on your supply chain? Wow. So we will then partner with um, taking it to their Westmead distribution centre in Brisbane, when you're sending your truck out to these remote places, can we put some meals on it? So that's how they've been helping us. And we get that for free and it costs, it's just a small space on a truck that's going there anyway. Yeah. And then we work with local agencies there to come and pick it up really quick if it's and there. it's frozen, isn't it? Frozen, yeah. yeah. So that's an innovation around distribution, partnering with the corporate world. Yeah. In relation to the product innovation, um, and that's the core of what we do, yes, some of the exciting innovations we're doing there is we'll keep evolving, evolving the packaging and the presentation, the formats, particularly want to do that better from an environmental sustainability point of view, which is a constant, but also involving the, the formats of the meals. So at the moment, all of our meals go out frozen, and that's the sensible way to do it when you're dealing with um, the not-for-profit sector. And if, you, if you're trying to manage use-by-dates, and best before dates, we're going to probably end up contributing to food waste because things will go off before it gets used. Mm. Uh, and it also presents a food risk when you've got um, volunteers organ running an organisation to know what stock to use and what part of the fridge and the freezer. So 
So we send everything out frozen, but the challenge with frozen is it is expensive to keep things frozen mm. uh, and it's heavy. Um, and so one of the innovations we're working on at the moment with Kelly Watson and our team here is how do we have a shelf-stable product? And so the two things we're working on there is retort and freeze-dried. And, and we just had another example of our freeze-dried um, spaghetti bolognese turn up mm. this morning and we're going to be running a pilot on that at the moment but um, I've been consuming some while I'm in Brisbane this week and <laughs> I can't tell the difference between the fresh products so the future of been having a shelf stable product is obviously it doesn't have to be kept frozen uh, and it's lightweight in terms of something like freeze dried and so and it's perfect for disaster relief it can be stored mm. can be stored in a building or a shed or a, anything in mm. terms of and activated in, 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 in a disaster situation so the cost reduce it's lightweight um, it's easy to distribute you don't have to have it kept it frozen so that could be the real solution it would be great to be turning food rescue and waste into something that's so adaptable mm. in that way let's recap on how how we can help um, you know the community yeah. yeah so in terms of what you can help with one well a couple of things one is I touched on before is our, our profile in Queensland isn't what it needs to be um, and and we we I suppose we've been too busy working, so to speak, rather than we don't have a marketing person out promoting us, etc. So, so we need to raise our profile. Why do we need to raise our profile? Because what I know with Fair Share is the more people that come and connect with the organisation and hear about it, they want to contribute. And how can they contribute? Well, one volunteers. I need more regular volunteers all the time, and it's mm. a great thing to people come and try at our kitchen here in Morningside. Um, also, they will always know somebody that might be able to contribute food or ingredients mm. or a goods or a service. Um, they might be able to donate money mm-hmm. that help us and there's, they'll have a, a contact or they'll know someone or they'll have a corporate group that might sit there and go, I've heard about Fair Share. Actually, I would love to bring my team down. It sounds like a great activity to do. I would love to, I'll go on the website and have a look at it now. Um, and food donors. Mm. And, and in your case, I'd sit there going, yeah, there'd be a lot of people that might sit there going, I don't, we haven't really spent much time thinking about this. To me, it's just an inconvenience I don't think about where, what happens to it next mm. uh, or it's just a waste product. And so connect with Fair Share and, and maybe there's a solution there that you could actually make something that's your problem into something really valuable to help people in need. Mm. Um, and, and I'd lo- love for people to come down and see the kitchen. I think they'll be blown away in terms of uh, it's, it's, it's a HAZOP certified food safety kitchen uh, operating at a commercial level, but it's all run by volunteers. And, it is and, amazing. And, and run by you know, yeah. free ingredients. <laughs> And yeah. producing these meals that, that will blow you away in, in taste and presentation. So, And I can vouch for that because I got starving walking through there and uh, had actually had to feed me before <laughs> I did the podcast. And I'm not super needy, but I'm going to do some form of donation um, because I was starving after smelling and looking at all the food. And, and um, you know, what you've set up in this business is fantastic. It's what every business aims for is camaraderie. The the mood was high. You know, that that's really really special. And a lot of businesses spend a lot of time trying to work out how yeah. to do that. Yeah. And um and 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 generally the base of that secret, I believe, is that you're actually doing good for the community. So, uh, I, we are going to be super pumped to help you as much as we can. Uh, however we can yeah. and I want to do regular promotions with you and regular whatever it takes to, yeah. to get the message out there of the great work that you're doing and um, um, yeah we look forward to a long yeah. future of doing something we, 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 we work this out as we go along uh, but yeah ha- super happy to um, I've accidentally met you when we met yeah. uh, uh, early in the year and um, yeah super excited about Scarlett anything from you today you've been very quiet 
I have. I guess, you know, if people do want to volunteer, you know, is it like how do they go about it? Yeah. Obviously go on the website yeah. and apply. Yeah. And yeah. then also are they going, you know, can they come for one one shift a week or can they do two shifts? Is it kind of up to availability or how yeah. does that all kind of so work? So at the moment in Brisbane we've got a plenty of availability mm-hmm. and we'll always take more. I think through COVID we lost a lot of volunteers uh, and that's across the not-for-profit sector. A lot of people found other things to do and their routines were disrupted. Um, but the best way that you can become, obviously, um, a regular volunteer, you can be as frequent as you'd like to be, weekly, monthly, fortnightly, yeah. whatever fits your schedule, there's day, there's nights. Yeah. Um, the best way is to come along and try and oh, and, yeah. and or bring a friend and uh, and come along and give it a go and, and you'll find that, um, that it's interesting. The people that volunteer, and there's a little bit of you touched on, Graham, with the vibe, all the people here want to be here mm. and they're not getting paid. So it's not a job. It's actually they want to be here and they enjoy it and it becomes really social and they build great relationships and friendships. It really yeah. does. I feel like when even I was just, we were just walking through and you were giving us a tour, everyone was like, who are you? Hi, yeah. I'm, I'm so-and-so. Who are you? What are you doing That's here? It. And like, I like got to know these yeah. people within like a matter of like minutes That's and all it. of a sudden I was like, I want to be a part of this. Well, there's a great story from Melbourne I used to hear was around, well, it's not a great story, but it's an interesting story. When people on those shifts got to know each other so well, um, and we've got volunteers who have been with us for 20 years in Melbourne, um, and on average they last five to seven years when they they come along to volunteer because it becomes to be their life. But there would be situations where, oh, someone's had someone in their family die and would lose the whole shift because the whole shift would go to the funeral and they become part of the, a family. <laughs> I mean, we've, lost, we've lost all of Tuesday morning because someone's had a relative that died and everyone... It's part of their family. <laughs> so people become really close. Mm. And and it's also great. One of the things we want to do is increase the diversity of our volunteer base. So traditionally volunteer sweet spots is around sort of the recently retired, clusters around 60 years of age is the traditional model. When people are sort of coming of out of... People yeah. <laughs> You're single. I probably hang out here as well. We have, had, we have tried yeah. singles nights too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with some success, <laughs> however you measure success. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but what we find is great. we want the, the diversity of our volunteer base to be the diversity of the world we live in, and, and that's great. And so we're doing a lot more around getting younger people in, uni students that actually mm-hmm. might want to say, I've got a bit of time and I'd be interested to do something different. But actually watching the relationships evolve from younger people with sometimes older people, I don't know, is, is wonderful in terms of... People learn a lot from other people in in a social setting, and the great thing around standing in the kitchen is, is your chat. Yeah. <laughs> okay, just, I've got to ask: How many has there been any ridiculously funny stories or absolute mess ups that you've gone? Oh my goodness, what have we done there? Is there any of them that you can think of? Because we've cried today. Um, you know, we've, this is a serious yet emotional thing. So let's let's end on a um, on a funny story. Um, you put me on the spot there, and I just—I can't. <laughs> I usually prep you with these questions, but I forgot. Okay, <laughs> I can't think of one that's jumping to mind. I mean, look, there's, no one's there's, just put there's, the, there's the chicken up. accidentally into the wrong thing, or yeah, there will be those. Uh, I don't want to talk about them, and people don't tell me about them. <laughs> that's probably sensible. No, look, this puppet. There's, 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 oh, there's there an opportunity for everyone to create some more funny stories out here. There are, there are funny stories, and everyone's happy every day. But I, 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 I nothing comes to mind in terms of a, a particular story. To Best way to get in contact? Uh, it's probably just to go straight on the Google Fair Share, Google Fair Share Brisbane, and and you everything. You just 
go from there. Got an Instagram? Phone number. Yeah, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, look at all our socials. If, say, someone like me, for mm. example, I work full-time, mm. Mm. but I'd love to be able to contribute somehow, is that, like, afternoon? Yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's afternoons, well. we do evenings. And it's, and it's three, for, hours, for people that are working. Yeah, three, three hours. hours. Three hours. Yeah, three, three hours. hours. Yeah, yeah. So, so you could just come after work, like, that's a lot do volunteer that. for three a lot, hours, and then A lot do that. Typing. People working during the day, and they do that. Yeah. So... Yeah, great. just trying to think how we could fit it yeah. into like everyone's lives, I guess. Yeah, mm. great. Okay, well, it's a pleasure to talk to you, and um, yeah, keep up the great work, and we're going to keep people posted on what you're doing and what you're um, and all the adventures ahead of us. So, mate, congratulations! Thank you, Brian. Love to see you again. Love you to too. chat. Thanks for coming out and seeing us. Pleasure. Cheers.